I do appreciate your prayers this morning. I hope that you'll continue that. Um, yeah, I think any message truly from the Lord both convicts and comforts. I mean, if you think that's the core gospel message, you know, is that we are sinners destined to die and go to hell, but there's salvation. And So much of that is like that in any message that the Lord gives us. There, there's that conviction that shows us where we have room to grow, but that that comfort that he is with us. And that is how I felt this week, um, as the Lord has laid this on my heart, but also the last couple of weeks, because we've heard in the last couple of weeks a, a couple of messages that while they may just be on short, single phrases from Scripture, they are so pithy, and, and the Lord has used Josh and given him messages that have touched me. I hope they've touched you. <clears throat> but they have, as I've thought about them, continued to meditate on them, they've convicted me, but also comforted me. And then as they've tied together and, and put another thought in my heart, it's, it's done the same for me, and I hope it will for you. If the Lord helps me, then hopefully I can communicate what's on my heart. And the core of that is, is the question that I want you to consider. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with Jesus? As I mentioned, part of this that's on my heart was born out of what we've heard the last couple of weeks. So I won't recap all of that, but just so that we kind of get it afresh. Two weeks ago we heard... A message, the Lord is my shepherd. And in that, you know, Brother Josh brought up really well. In fact, I even re-listened to it again to help me prepare so I'd be refreshed. And, and he talked about how David would have known intimately as a shepherd. He would have known intimately what he was talking about when he referred to the Lord as his shepherd, making him a sheep. Because that's a very humbling statement. When, when we can say that and mean it, when we can see ourselves as sheep, that is so humbling. Because it means that we are helpless, that we are utterly incapable of protecting or providing for ourselves, that we are dumb I mean, Brother Josh brought that out, but then I read something this week that literally the quote was, there's dumb, there's dumber, then there's a bag of rocks, and then there's sheep. And that was how it was worded. So when we allow ourselves to be sheep, what are we saying about ourselves? except that we are completely surrendering ourselves as utterly helpless, utterly dependent. And that's, in fact, surrender is the word Brother Josh used, but what came to my mind is when we think of surrender now, we think of raising the white flag in, in kind of a resigned fashion with our heads hung low, giving ourselves over to our enemy. That's how we see surrender. I'm defeated. 
That's not the kind of surrender we're talking about when we talk about surrendering to the Lord, though. You know, rest. The surrender we're talking about is more of a rest. Rest in, in biblical times, and rest for Jesus was a spiritual exercise. Sleep was a spiritual exercise. In order to sleep, you truly had to rest from your labors and trust the Lord. Because, you know, yeah, they had homes, but the doors didn't necessarily have locks. You didn't have ADT security systems. You didn't have things to protect you. Bandits could still come in. If you weren't in a walled city, to lie down and sleep, you were without defense. You couldn't be aware of what was coming. It was to trust the Lord. It was to trust God that you would wake up on the other side of sleep. It was a spiritual exercise. Any kind of rest was because in, in this society, you know, they, they would go out to get their water for each day or to get their food for each day. Their provisions were day by day. They went out to work for each day. If they had chickens, they'd go out and get the eggs for that day to either sell or to eat. And then tomorrow they would do it again. So to take a day off from work, number one, you kind of had to plan for it. But number two, you had to trust that God would provide. That was the purpose for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be an exercise in trust. In resting from your labor so that you could trust the Lord to do his work. Now the Pharisees, with all of their laws and the laws that they added, they made rest it. They, they worked hard to rest on the Sabbath is what they did. Instead of resting from their labors, they did more work trying to not work. It wasn't a true Sabbath. But that kind of rest where you just kind of give yourself over and trust someone else completely, that's the surrender we talk about when we talk about surrendering to the Lord. It's truly resting from your labors, knowing that there is an end to what you can do. That all the work that we do is vain. That is what we mean when we talk about surrender. Not head hung low in resignation, but head hung high and just giving over to it. When do we rest? We rest when we're satisfied, don't we? I mean, think about the stereotype for Thanksgiving Day. You feast and feast until you can't eat anymore, and then you turn on the game, and you're there with your buddies, and we rest when we're satisfied. Last night, I was so tired when I got home from work, but I was hungry and just made this chicken salad thing. It was interesting, but it was good, and I ate two bowls of it. it, was, it was, I ate two bowls of it, and then I was satisfied, and I went and laid down, and I was asleep faster than I can remember falling asleep. I'm satisfied. So to rest, 
to surrender to that satisfaction. When we say that the Lord is my shepherd, we surrender to our helplessness, our inability to protect ourselves, inability to do anything for ourselves. We surrender to the fact that we are dumber than a bag of rocks. And that seems very humbling. But the thing is, the other, the, what we didn't bring out is the other side of that the other side of that statement is while it should be very humbling, it should also be very comforting. Because the thing we didn't mention is that sheep were of so great value. Sheep were a prized commodity. The owners of sheep loved their flocks. They were their livelihood. They were everything to them. Yes, David was the shepherd for his father. But his father's flocks were his father's flocks. They were what he had. They were how he made his name, how he made his livelihood. They were his wealth, his source of income, his source of security. They were everything. They were prized. And every sheep had a value. God values sheep. God values his sheep. If you see, you can see how much, not only in the way that he tenderly takes care of us, and yes, we've talked about the fact that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But even before that, in Ezekiel 34, and, and I won't go there. You don't have to go there. You can go back and read it if you want to mark it. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, one of the prophecies that is given to Ezekiel He said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. And say unto them, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, Woe unto you, you have not fed the sheep, but you have fed yourselves. You have not taken care of the flock. And he goes on and lists all kinds of threats and basically says, Since you haven't done it, woe unto you, I will gather my sheep. I will go seek those that are lost. I will bring them back in. I will feed them. I will make them lie down in green pastures. It's Psalm 23 all over again. I will give them good drink. And I will give them a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, God says, I will gather the flock from where they are scattered all around the world. And I will give them a shepherd. It says, even David will be their shepherd. But we know in, in <clears throat> we've even talked about in Nehemiah, everyone is named the son of someone. The son of someone. So the folks who would have read Ezekiel's prophecy knew that David wasn't actually going to come back in the flesh and be a shepherd. It was that a son of David, one of David's lineage, would come back and be that shepherd. So right there is a prophecy of Jesus. And then later, years later, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says, I'm that shepherd that the Lord told you about through Ezekiel. God cares about his sheep. Enough to discipline bad shepherds or hirelings. And provide his own shepherd. Yes, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, we are admitting our own inadequacy. 
but we're also embracing our worth to the shepherd. And one of the most beautiful parts of that, John 10, and I'd never seen it the same way, is John is talking to them. Of course, he's still talking, or Jesus is talking to them in John, and he's still talking to Jews. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. It's that passage there. But then he says, talking about us, I have other sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring them in also. They will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. How beautiful is that? That the Lord has cared enough for us that even when we were blind and stupid and inadequate and we were sheep without a shepherd, the Lord saw us and said, those are my sheep, they'll hear my voice. And he's brought us in. So yes, let's be humbled, but let's also be comforted in knowing that we are of value to the Father. If David, little David, can kill a bear and a lion to protect one sheep, how much more valuable are we to Lord God Almighty? Well, I'll tell you how much. Enough so that He laid down his life for us to defeat a foe much more dangerous than a bear or a lion. He defeated death, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. So the Lord is my shepherd. And then the second part of that, I shall not want. We know that we have a good shepherd. We heard a couple of weeks ago what the job of a shepherd is which is to provide, provide protection, to lead to sustenance, to basically provide everything, protection, shelter, provision. A sheep is utterly dependent on the shepherd for everything. If there's a good shepherd, the sheep lacks nothing that it needs. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we say that, we like to quote that. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that we shall not want? And where that ties into last week is, uh, Brother Josh went to Philippians 4, and I'm going to go there. And you can turn if you want. Or if you don't, it, you'll recognize it. But it's uh, chapter 4. I'll start at verse 10 just to give a little bit of context. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye, all, ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
I'll stop there. Where this really hit home and tied into two weeks ago was last week, Brother Josh brought out that that word, therewith to, I, in whatever, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, that word, autarkes, basically meaning to be self-sufficient or to be satisfied with what is within. And he reminded us that we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, those of us who are saved. Can we be satisfied with what's within and be sufficient in that? Are we satisfied with Jesus? That idea of contentment It's something I long for. Because I'll be honest, I'm not content. I, mean, I, I can put on a face and I can act happy, but I'm not content with my life, with where I am. But is that because I don't have all that I need? In a worldly sense, I think so. But that's where I've been convicted this week and challenged, but also comforted. Because the truth is, I have everything that I need. Because I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit of God. So why am I not content? And if you're here and you're saved this morning, and you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, and you are not content, why not? Why is that not enough? And if that's the state where you are, how do you learn contentment? It doesn't just come out of a flash. Paul didn't say that I spent some time in prayer and boom, flash, whiz, bang, I was content. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in to be content. Now, do you think David was content when he could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Yes, I think he'd found contentment. Now, is that a permanent state? No, because at some point after that, he had lust in his heart and went after Bathsheba and was no longer content with just what he had. But he repented and was restored and once again was content with what he had inside him. So it's not to say that once, once we learn to be content that we'll never veer away from that and find seasons of discontent. But it is something that we learn. And in this privileged society that we live in, you know, where we've got protesters on every corner that will say, well, it was easy for David to be content. He was the king. Right? Think about the culture we live in. They want to point out everyone's privilege. It's easy for David to be content. He was the king. He had everything he wanted. Not when he wrote the psalm. When he wrote the psalm, he was roaming the countryside chasing after sheep. His best friends were dumber than a bag of rocks. And that's all he had to talk to. And yet he was content. Because just as he shepherded the sheep, he knew that he had a shepherd providing for and protecting him. He knew that even though he had to fight a lion and a bear, 
that there was a greater shepherd fighting for him. He knew that though he had to fight Goliath, it was not his battle to fight, it was the Lord's. He was in one of the lowliest states. Shepherds are not respected in Israel. They're they're necessary. They're a necessary part of the economy, but they were not part of the respected elite class. It's not like people grew up saying, ooh, I want to be a shepherd. That's like us growing up saying, I want to be a trash collector. It'd be similar. They're necessary, and we're thankful to have people that do that, but no one grows up and says, I want to do that when I grow up. No one grew up saying, I want to be a shepherd. So let's not fall into the trap of thinking that David had special privilege because he was the king. Well, what about Paul? Paul says that he learned to be content. Well, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was wealthy. He was learned. Until he joined that church. Until he met the Lord. Until he was saved. And I meant to look it up, but I forgot to. But there's in, in one of his letters where he's trying to, def- to defend his credibility. Paul lists all of the privileges he had had, including being stoned. Uh, wasn't he, didn't they try to boil him? Beaten, Beaten multiple times, shipwrecked twice or three times, which, you know, it's not Gilligan's Island kind of life of ease in paradise when you're shipwrecked. Snake bitten. There's a laundry list of things. Not to mention that Paul lost his heritage. He would have lost his whatever family um, inheritance he had. He would have been disowned at that point. He, He went from being a teacher of the law to learning the craft of tent maker in order to provide for himself while he went from town to town building the Lord's churches. He struggled. Yes, he truly did know how to abound and to have nothing. How did he learn that? just kind of said it he had everything he had it all and he had nothing he learned through experience he knew what it was to have it all and to have nothing to be respected and to be hated but there's There's more than that. Because we talked about that word autarkes last week. But if you look in verse 12, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. And he goes on, I am instructed. And I kind of thought, well, who taught him? Or that even almost sounds like I'm instructed, I'm told. To be hungry and full. What, what is that? Well, that word in the Greek is mueo. Which, it was so interesting. I, I can remember I was, I was looking at the book and I saw that and I kind of giggled to myself. 
because it, it clicked. The root word is mueo. It's used in a passive sense. That verb means to be initiated into the mysteries of something. So, And even one of the other translations translates it this way, but it's kind of like saying, I have learned the secret. So Paul says, I have learned the secret, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then his next statement, this is where he tells us the secret, folks, and we miss this because our culture thinks this is the ultimate verse of self-empowerment and self-help. But no, this is the secret to how to be content. I can do all things through Christ.